Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. That's Mr. Max Williams on the uh, audio ones and twos here. They call me Ben. Uh, Noel, you ever met a wolf? Not one I didn't like, buddy. (laughs) There we go. I like that positive vibe. Yeah, um, I've I've been lucky enough to encounter wolves in a non-aggressive way. I've also met some wolf dogs. Uh, which are, you know, a combination of some percentage wolf, some percentage dog. Uh, Max, you ever had a run-in with a wolf? I have not had a run-in with a wolf before. I would be, yeah, I'm trying to think. No, I can't think of a single time. I would be absolutely terrified. And, you know, I prefer the felines over the canines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always wonder, why do they call you Max the Wolf Williams then? Where'd that come from? I think it's the You know, I don't know, especially because that's like the first time I've ever heard that, Um, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Surely you jest, Max. Surely you jest. I we also had here in Atlanta. I don't know whether you guys remember, uh, but we had a furniture tycoon, local furniture tycoon, named the Wolfman, and he was his commercials were awesome. Ooh. Was he a howler? He was always beefing with a lady named Donna. So <laughs> congratulations mm. to the uh, to the five people who will get that reference. Oh, more than five people are going to get that one. People know that reference. Yeah, I didn't grow up around here, so I, I did not see these surely delightful local uh, television commercials. I, and, and where I grew up, there was a place. There was a place called um, Master Fabricators. It was like a, like a garage shop, but they had like a song. It was like, "You always get the shaft, the drive shaft, at Master Fabricators." Nice. And that's that's all I have to say about that. There we go. Well. Uh, their, their spokes creature was a monkey. 
Nice. Well, you know, I know some of our uh, Atlanta crew are going to be a bit disappointed that this episode is not about the Wolfman and Donna, but it is about wolves because even like think of the people that you have had your differences with, um, whether they're family members, whether they're, you know, friends from college or high school, what have you. The fact of the matter is that when people's lives are on the line, humans are pretty good at putting their differences aside temporarily to uh, sure. in the interest of mutual survival, right? So this is where our story takes place. Uh, I first ran into this idea uh, in the world of graphic novels and comic books and short stories, and then later films. Uh, it's it's a trope almost now. It's the idea that during a world war, either one or two, the the legend goes, uh, opposing sides of the conflict in a remote part of Europe actually teamed up to protect themselves from wild animals. And it's now often called the wolf truce. Today's question, Noel, I I think we're going to have to figure this out. Did it really happen? Like, have you, have you seen those movies where they, you know, they depict stuff like this or the stories? No, not, not so much war related. I mean, obviously we've talked about the brotherhood of the wolf in the past oh, and yeah. like the beast of Gévaudan, right? I think we did that one on this show mm-hmm. um, where there was a mysterious beast on the loose uh, killing, you know, regular civilians and uh, folks had to kind of band together to do something about it. But uh, I, this does seem like excellent fodder for some some fiction. And it's also very appropriate considering the situation we find ourselves in now geopolitically uh, where Russia is concerned. Mm-hmm. So let's travel back. Don't think there's any wolves in the mix yet, but, uh, you know, <sighs> yeah. it's, a, it's, it's an ongoing developing story. There were more wolves back then, but uh, humans have never really needed the help of other species to harm each other, sadly. So it's true. Yeah. So uh, I, I like that comparison, though. So let's travel back to the winter of 1917. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the winter of our discontent, but I think there were probably some pretty discontented people uh, wandering around. Yeah, yeah. This is World War I. If you're a Russian, uh, you're probably fighting some Germans. If you're a German, you're probably fighting Mm -hmm. some Russians. Uh, And you have all the worries of a typical war, right? People are shooting at you. People are trying to kill you. But then also you have a bunch of diseases that you could get. In the brutal weather, it's easy to get frostbite. Sniper fire is a thing. Artillery. And then also wolves, because it's 1917. So on top of everything, wolves. Yeah, not to mention trench foot. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that sounds, that sounds tough. Trench foot. Yeah, say, is, there, is trench mouth a thing too? Was, are they related or are they? I don't know. I think they are. But trench foot was definitely like, uh, like a sort of gangrenous situation you get as a result of uh, wallowing around in the muck and the mire. Yeah, know, of trench warfare, leaving your uh, feet in water or in the wet for long, long periods of time. I suppose you could get trench hand too if you just didn't move your hand. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Trench mouth was just basically a really gnarly form of gingivitis that was also caused by life in the overly moist and mucky trenches. I like the idea of uh, of theoretically every body part possibly being affected with this. Like you could get trench ear. Someone could get trench elbow. What we're saying is 
war is a nasty thing, and these people were in really nasty, brutal conditions, and they were shooting at each other. So the First World War was one of the most uh, widespread, really, conflicts in the history of humanity, because you had uh, mass transportation, you had multiple conflicting alliances in the patchwork of European countries, and this mm -hmm. would mean that millions of people joined the fray, like millions of soldiers. Yeah, and millions of people died in the fray, including 7 to 12 million civilians, uh, and about 55 million people sustained serious injuries. Because of the uh, First World War, several empires essentially vanished. Uh, the Russian, German, Austro-Hungarian, and Ottoman empires, for all intents and purposes, ceased to exist. Uh, and this war was also a major um, tipping point for a number of other revolutions. One of these revolutions seemed to take place in the, uh, the animal kingdom. The wolves, it seemed, were restless and were on the move. Yeah, yeah, because this does occur in the natural world, right? So ecology is affected as well. We're specifically looking at the Eastern Front, which is an area extending from the Black Sea in the south all the way to the Baltic Sea in the north. This, here's what happened. So war is like a great, whale passing through water, a great and terrible leviathan. It leaves ripples. It leaves things in its wake. And in this case, uh, it also, it, war left a lot of corpses. And you see scavengers of all types, human and non-human, uh, coming to see what they can get from these battlefields. Mm -hmm. So you will have, let's be clear, there were humans robbing dead bodies. That's part of it. And it's gruesome, but it really happens. But then there were animal scavengers, carrion eaters, and wolves who got forced from the Eastern Front. Most wolves don't want to mess with you. They, they're not interested in you. You know, most wild animals don't really want to hang out with you. And if they do want to hang out with you, run. But, but the uh, or walk slowly away and try to make yourself as big as possible. Uh, but the uh, the thing with the wolves is they're more than happy living in the wild and never seeing a human being. So when they get forced out by like the noise and the chaos of war, they got to go somewhere. Sure. Yeah, it's twofold, right? I mean, they're not only, you know, forced from their natural habitats, which would make them pretty cranky, they're also attracted to the smell of rotting corpses out in the battlefield, uh, and it's sort of easy pickings uh, for them to, to have a little snack. Uh, once they've exhausted this food supply and get a little bolder, they start to target, like, the kind that's still walking around. Yeah, they're naturally going to prefer the animals that they prey on already in the pre-war ecology, right? But those animals sure. are getting hunted by soldiers. Those animals are also getting driven away or just randomly shot by bored people. So they have to resort to some sort of sustenance. And like you said, Noel, they started eating corpses and eventually, you know, the same thing happens with um, man-eating lions, or tigers, in those situations, usually the animal has had its teeth or its jaw damaged, or it's older, such that it can't hunt its natural prey, so then it goes to humans. 
which are relatively easy to take if you're a lion, a tiger, and so on. Uh, we know that the media was aware of this. There's a great Mental Floss article that explains this by Lucas Riley. Remember that name, folks. Uh, <laughs> yes. We know him. We know him. We know Lucas. Uh, and he does an excellent job with this story of Mental Floss. And he notes how people were talking about this. Authorities were talking about this as well. In February of 1917, a report from Berlin just flagged this. And they said there are big packs of wolves that are coming out of Lithuania and other parts of Europe, other parts of rural Europe, into the, the inner area of the German Empire, the interior. And they're not too far from the front lines. They've been driven from their homes. They're just looking for something to eat. Before they start hunting people, they go through everything else. Livestock, sheep, goats, cattle. Possibly children in a couple of cases. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So let's let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, again, winter, 1916 to 1917. We're in Lithuania and Belarus um, in the uh, Kovno-Vilna-Minsk district, which would today be considered Vil, uh, Vilnius, Lithuania. We've got these starving wolves starting to attack German and Russian troops. Uh, at first, we see them attacking kind of stragglers. Um, but again, like I mentioned earlier, they get a little bit more, you know, tough and bold and they start to attack groups. Um, we have a reports coming out of St. Petersburg. Like you said, the media was aware of this, that the wolves were becoming so hard to deal with on the battlefield that they were actually one of the few things that could cause cooperation between the two sides, between the Germans and the Russians. Uh, this report out of uh, St. Petersburg had this to say. Parties of Russian and German scouts met recently and were hotly engaged in a skirmish when a large pack of wolves dashed on the scene and attacked the wounded. Um, and presumably, you know, anyone that was trying to stand in their way. And that 
this dispatch from the battlefield was reprinted in the Oklahoma City Times, and it goes on. Hostilities were at once suspended, and Germans and Russians instinctively attacked the pack, killing about 50 wolves. So there was kind of almost this, like, unspoken bond established between these enemies where they, they, they understood that if there was a, a wolf attack, it was like that scene in Wayne's World where it was like, car, and then you kind of, you know, deal with that, and then game on. So, yeah, it became this kind of rallying moment mm-hmm. for just a moment, just a brief moment, or just these exact circumstances. The Russians and the Germans had to work together. Uh, once the wolf threat was dealt with, then it was back to shooting at each other. Yeah, kind of like the Christmas truce. It's like a more metal version of the Christmas truce where military stopped and then went and, <laughs> and celebrated the holiday of Christmas and then went back to their trenches and continued fighting each other. Uh, there, there's a really important part here. So we've we've made it clear that at least once this happens, but it doesn't end there. This probably happened multiple times. It wasn't a single pack of wolves in a single incident. There were a lot of wolves in those days uh, and throughout the forest of Lithuania in the areas that would now be Poland and Belarus. These incidents occurred repeatedly and there would be German and Russian forces who were just otherwise mowing each other down with machine guns who would just stop and say, oh, wait, we got wolves. Hold up, guys, we got wolves. Wolf break. I like that's a wolf break. I like that word. Uh, so the you mentioned the snipers. So the snipers were very powerful aspects of this war, and they would be able to see when the regular infantry stopped attacking each other, and then they would take a break, and everybody would try to fight the wolves because the wolves kept coming. And wolves, Russian wolves, they're big. This is like some seriously Lord of the Rings kind of business right here. I'm just picturing these magical dire wolves just bounding through the field of battle and just unstoppable foes, you know, coming at these soldiers. Yeah, and I feel so bad for the wolves because, again, well, yeah, yeah. They, they were forced in this situation. Nobody asked them what they thought of the Ottoman Empire or Austro-Hungarian Empire. They, they were just one day there were deer and then there weren't. And there were monsters afoot and everything smelled terrible. Uh, And these wolves, you know, their entire population is moving. It's getting hunted. They're attacking out of desperation. And as they become increasingly starved, they become increasingly bold. And they start, you know, you said they were picking off soldiers one by one, right? Somebody wanders away from the crew, maybe to take a pee break. And then boom, they get got. Um, now they are kazow that's the sound a wolf makes when it gets you now if a soldier is not fast enough he is down uh there was military.com wrote it uh saying if a soldier isn't fast enough with his weapon he might have a close encounter of the canine kind which is really fun to say (laughs) but uh but yeah this was a constant threat it really was. It really was a constant threat um, because, you know, wolves are very, very nimble. And if they are starving, they're going to become more and more aggressive and desperate and take serious risks. 
or they don't even see it that way, perhaps, because, again, they don't really know what a gun is quite. But they do find out <laughs> many, many wolves, the lives of many a wolf were lost uh, in this conflict alongside, you know, the humans that they were trying to munch on. But you're right, Ben, it is really sad because of all of the casualties of this war, uh, they probably were the ones that were least complicit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a lot of civilian casualties too. I mean, I don't know. It's just the whole thing. War is hell and it never changes. There were other methods for dealing with these wolves. Uh, the Russians and Germans did, you know, kind of uh, collaborate on some of these as well, including laying traps for them, um, poisoning some of the food they were trying to, to eat actually like booby trapping the perimeters um but it just wasn't enough because there were so many of them these forests were just teeming with wolves gradually the wolves were collected and rounded up and eventually several hundred of them were killed on mass the others kind of getting the picture at this point started to to take off you know for greener pastures or at least less you know aggressively uh, deadly ones and I imagine this this would have been a cause for what could be tracked as a great migration of these types of, of the species. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, if you've heard this story before, or if you've seen works of fiction based on something like this, a lot of the inspiration is going to come from a New York Times article that ran in July of 1917. We just want to cite that. Uh, we're pulling a lot of information from there, and some of the other sources we found are also pulling a lot of information from that article, which you can view on New York Times right now if the uh, spirit so moves you. So still, it's a war. Like you said, car, pause, game on. That's what happens. The soldiers do managed to kill a lot of wolves and they scatter the rest. So they, br you could think of it this way. They break the wolf army. If you want to go uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, or you, you know, battle of the five armies with the hobbits, they break the wolf army and now the wolves are out of the picture. So they start fighting again. They, the truce was temporary and there's a really sad moment cited in War History Online from the memoirs of a nurse named Natalia Linka. She wrote a book called The First World War, 1914 to 1918. And she talks about meeting wolves who sound like defeated survivors. She says on January 4th, 1918, she was at a forced stop at a fortress called Hassan Kale in Turkey. Um, there were 10 people in this truck. And then a howl cut through the silence of the night. It became terrible, but we pulled the cover off the entrance and looked out. Not far from us, on white snow, slowly a small pack of wolves passed, moving in lines one after the other. They approached us, sometimes stopped, and lifting their muzzles up, howled softly and sadly. I don't have a lot of feelings, to be honest, but this one got me. Ugh. Ugh. Softly, oh, just a, just a plaintiff, melancholy. Oh, they didn't attack. You no, know? they didn't attack. They were they laid their arms down or their paws. They laid their paws down. Mm -hmm. And now this one's getting me. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm feeling it, you guys. I'm not joking. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of welling up a little bit. I yeah. know. Yeah, as someone who has way too much emotions, this one's getting me. Oh no! Oh no! I'm oh, no. quiet and mute my mic. Max, you got to be. This reminds me of. Um, 
you know this reminds me of in a lot of ways mm. the the Miyaz the beautiful Miyazaki film Princess Mononoke mm-hmm. where like you know nature literally kind of rises up against these essentially machines of war or these kind of corruptions right you know well and of course guns there there are soldiers you know in that in that film as well uh, so it is kind of like man versus nature that that is what this is. This really is kind of a very close analog to what happens in that film uh, with much less mystical properties and not, not a happy ending. Right. I mean, a lot of bad stuff happens in Mononoke as well, but it ultimately does, you know, have a happy ending. Real life doesn't often have one of those, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Real life just sort of goes and then it stops. So, so wow. Uh, maybe the weather is affecting us today too, guys. It's, it's a dreary morning here in Atlanta, uh, but we started this by asking whether this really happened. And at this point, we see an alternative narrative come into play. It starts weirdly enough with a video game, a first-person shooter that I've never played called Tannenberg. It's set in World War I. It's inspired by the Battle of Tannenberg. And they created a thing in the game called Wolf Truce. All of a sudden, the game mode turns into you fighting wolves instead of soldiers. And they based this on that New York Times article we cited earlier. But the thing about that Times article is not a ton of people actually check the sources quoted by the paper, which is why folks like a Russian hunting scientist, Sergei Matvechuk, said that there were no Russian sources for this information. and. People started wondering whether it was a tall tale. Yeah, that's right. And in Russia, um, you know, when folks were looking through their sources about this Eastern campaign, there aren't any mentions of any wolf truce. Uh, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't like there was like it was like the great wolf truce, like it was some singular thing that happened. It was more of a functional series of micro truces that that, that that had to happen to functionally allow both sides to, to fight another day. But it is a little bit of a tall order. Uh, it's the kind of thing that sort of gives you hope for mankind or, you know, uh, the, the idea of sort of like, why can't we all just get along and rally together, especially if there's a common threat, um, which we've all agreed is ultimately the victim in this story, the, that threat. But it, it, is a, it is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot to expect um, in this situation. Because honestly, you know, what you and I was thinking all along is that one side or the other would use it to their advantage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like snipers would use it, would use it to, they wouldn't be t- picking off the wolves. They'd be picking off all the, the, the troops that were distracted by the wolves, you know? And it would just be kind of bedlam. We, we do know for a fact that this wolf infestation was a real thing, though, right? Well, we know that not everybody agrees. Uh, there, I think most people will argue that it that it did happen. They're just questioning maybe the extent of it. It's it's true, obviously, that wolves were eating dead bodies. It's true that they were driven from their natural environment. Uh, so it seems to me completely possible, even plausible, really, that. There may have been multiple instances where soldiers stopped firing at each other long enough to get rid of wolves. But that harrowing Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones type scene with this, the endless onslaught of, of, uh, of wolves from the, from the tree line, 
That could be a little bit of a fantasy, couldn't it? Yeah, I would totally write it for Ridiculous History Studios. It'd be cinematic. Uh, we'd need to add some stuff, though. We'd need to have some protagonists. You know what? Let's do it from the wolf's perspective. That's what we do. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So this one is, uh, you know, a bit emotional for the three of us. We are officially Team Wolf, not Teen Wolf, but Team Wolf. (laughs) And uh, I I don't know. I still think it's it's an amazing story because I'm stuck on it, Noel. I'm stuck on the idea of framing this from the perspective of the wolves. They They were like their own conscript army. You know, they didn't volunteer for this. They had to do it. Um. Makes you think. And if we've learned anything, you know, on stuff that I want you to know and researching, you know, junk food and just weird marketing behind food is, is that you got to eat. Mm-hmm. You got to eat. Yeah. Wolves got to do what a wolf's got to do. Mm-hmm. Wolf's got to have a code. That code is we want to eat. So we are going to call it a day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, the man, the myth, the wolf-like legend, Max Williams. Uh, thanks, of course, as always, to uh, Gabe Luzier. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Thanks to who else? Alex Williams, who composed this banging track. Jonathan Strickland, the uh, the quizster. <laughs> Wait. What? I knew. I knew. Eventually. Eventually. If I spoke his name, it would it's conjure his, his form. Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the quizster. form? You know how I knew it was time. How's that? I saw a teen wolf with a Chinese menu in his hand walking through the streets of Soho <laughs> in the rain. Was his hair perfect? <laughs> his hair. Was he drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's? He was. He was. And playing basketball because, you know, Teen Wolf, great movie. I'm glad you guys talked about Teen Wolf. Finally, all those emails I've been sending into the show saying, when are you going to talk about Teen Wolf? I know it's not really your purview, but I feel that this is something that needs to be addressed. And now I understand you've finally done it. Uh, 
I'm uh, sorry I've missed all the emotional payoff of the uh, talking about the climax of Teen Wolf and, and really the wait, overall oeuvre of Michael J. Fox, but I'm glad I'm here at the end. I don't bury the lead here. Don't, don't forget about Teen Wolf also. Mm-hmm. Oh, Teen yes, Wolf 2. Yes. Boxing, starring Jason about, Bateman. Jason Bateman boxing, has been in Hollywood for a long time, man. <laughs> what, about, uh, what about the Teen Wolf reboot? Well, you know what? More, more importantly, Jonathan, Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I in February. All right, Happy New Year to you too. Well, you this. I don't know what the statute of limitations. This is the first time you've been on the show in 2022. If you came on in October, I would also say Happy New Year. I am so glad you brought up the fact that it has been a very long time since I've been on the show. Uh, as such, I have decided to punish you. Oh, okay. <laughs> what else yeah. is new? Is, is this like? Uh, it's been too long, so you. I'm sorry, you did this to yourselves, but uh, for those who do not know, you have entered into the most cringe-worthy segment in all of podcasting, where I, the Quister, will then present to our fair hosts some scenarios, and some of them are true, and some of them are made up. In this case, one is made up. They have to determine which of the four scenarios I present. Told you, you're getting punished. You kept me off the show for far too long. Now, you okay, first forcing. of all, Jonathan, there's no keeping you off the show. You are, are like uh, like like the wind. You know, you're, you're like a like nuclear fallout. You you're know, like, you just kind of drift wherever you want to go. You're like, like the wolf. Santa Ana winds. I make things weird. That's a crazy ex girlfriend reference. <laughs> you're like a, you're like a wolf in World War One, man. You're just roaming. It's not your fault. Plus, your writer yeah. is crazy. We have to save up to get you on the show now. Listen, these 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 brownie bites—they don't pay for themselves. All right, I got to be rolling in brownie bites. It's right. just how I go. All so right, so here here's the, here are the rules. I will be three three are real. One is three fake. Are real. One is fake. Three are real. One is fake. You must you must suss out the fake one, <sighs> and uh, I will present to you the four scenarios. They're long, so this is going to be a nice long segment. You're welcome, audience. <laughs> and um, and then after I give you the four scenarios, you'll have three minutes to debate between the two of you which of the four is the fake one. If you wish to ask me any questions, then you must preface it with a, a phrase of my choosing. In this case, it shall be, I'm not throwing away my shot because we are going to talk about dueling. And uh, the reason, the real reason why there are four scenarios, not three, is because y'all... People have engaged in duels for stupid, stupid reasons, and it was hard to narrow down which ones I was going to use. But I shall now start, and uh, once I am done, you will start the timer for three minutes uh, as enormous trucks go past my house, and you will then uh, have to give to me the the fake out of the four. All right, here we go. Scenario one. Gomez Suarez de Figueroa y Cordoba, a.k.a. the first Duke of Feria, was Spain's ambassador to the court of Queen Elizabeth I. He left that position in 1559 and shortly after arriving back in Spain, challenged Alvaro de la Cuadra, another nobleman, a bishop in fact, 
to a duel. And the reason? Gomez had taken offense to De La Quadra's pronunciation of liturgical Latin, claiming the bishop was butchering the language. So naturally, the two were unable to resolve their differing opinions and pronunciation and settled to duel with swords. Both received injuries, but survived the encounter, considering the matter settled. Scenario 2 in 1816, a French admiral named de la Seuss took offense to the way a Prussian danced, saying he was, quote, waltzing against him, end quote. And so de la Seuss confronted the Prussian and the two agreed to sort out their disagreement in cutting a rug the old-fashioned way. Pistols at dawn. The two faced off and the Prussian fired first, but missed. De La Seuss's aim was better, and he hit the Prussian squarely in the chest. And yet, the man fell but was otherwise unharmed. De La Seuss then discovered that the Prussian had been wearing a breastplate and resorted to kicking him repeatedly. Scenario like, three! Like to death? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm not nope, throwing away nope, my shot. Nope. Uh, oh. uh, well, no, we haven't gone through all the scenarios yet, but no, we not to figure, death. Just, oh, just, just kicking him. Okay, just it's kicking. been a minute. Yeah, it, it has been a while. No, it's, you know, fair game, fair game. Scenario three! 1892, Liechtenstein, the Russian Countess Kilmanseg and the Viennese Princess Pauline Metternich were hard at work arranging flowers at the Vienna Exhibition. Unfortunately, the two simply could not agree on how flowers should be arranged, and the disagreement escaled escalated rather to a duel, which was arranged. They decided that they would fight with rapiers and whomever bled first would lose. They had women as seconds as well as a woman as medic, making this an all-female affair. Oh, they also fought topless. Woohoo! And both received wounds, the princess on the nose, the countess on the arm, at which point they kissed and made up. And finally, scenario four. In 1970, a stage director in Copenhagen named Togo Esben was insulted to discover that the theater program for a production failed to include his name in it. He then challenged the stage company's press secretary, Hennig Ditlev, to a duel. They chose flintlock pistols. During the duel, only one pistol managed to fire, and that one missed the target. The two men... Apparently satisfied that the matter had been dealt with, retired to drink champagne and add Esben's name to the program. Begin the timer. I am running to our grandfather clock and go. Okay. Um, I mean, the, the topless one. I mean, that's that's why. Why? I, think never, that I, don't, I know no precedent. I know no precedent for this. Yeah, I think that one's real, though, because I, I feel like I've heard that before because it was rather unusual for um you, yeah. you know dueling okay. was kind of okay. a dude thing right so people would remember also i don't think jonathan wants a reputation for inventing pervy scenarios Ooh, good call uh, to throw my yeah to throw my hat in here i think the first one's definitely real two dudes dueling over latin that in like yeah. the 50 no, that, that, that fights are real yeah. that tracks yeah yeah, yeah, and I, and I think the last one is because that seems like dumb enough because it was like 1970s that that just you know a one pistol working and then they just drink champagne afterwards. I, that sounds you know pretty real to me too. I don't know, man. 70s, a, a press secretary. I am I not throwing that. away my shot. Yes, Mister Bolin. Could you give us just the the like quick highlights of number two again? I want to pay more attention to that. Yes, number two, you have a, a French admiral named De La Seuss who's at a, 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 a ball, 
a dance, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, dancing, and a, a Prussian dancing. is dancing all up on him. He's apparently, uh, he was right. a rather rotund fellow, a rather rotund Prussian, waltzing against him. And so then the French admiral uh, challenges the rotund Prussian to a duel. They meet the next day with pistols. Uh, the Prussian misses. The admiral hits. The Prussian turns out to have also cheated by wearing a breastplate under his clothing. Okay, guys, I think it's either detail. two or four. What's the... Uh, I'm not throwing away my shot. Yes, Mr. Shot, Brown. shot. Uh, what's the year again for number four? Number four is 1970. What? But that would have been illegal as heck. I mean, yeah. uh, you can't duel. and Maybe, again, that's what makes it remarkable, and these people were just nuts, but... I don't know. I think it's four. Yeah. I'm but then again, I don't know if Jonathan would have given away his hand by having such a obvious, you know, mm-hmm. uh, non-dueling year. This is like the Princess Bride poison moment, you know. Uh, really are we is. up against the Sicilian when death is on the line? But uh, but this is there's another thing here, too, Noel, Max. Uh, I know we're, we're running close to time, but notice that more details came out in number two the second time we asked him about it. All of a sudden, right. yeah, that's, that's kind of how that asking thing works. But yeah, go ahead. Okay. Oh, thank you for telling me. Thank you. Let me ask. Let me ask. Uh, I'm not throwing away my shot. Yes, producer person. Uh, Jonathan, when are we going to hang out again soon, man? We. Oh, like, I feel know, like it's been a minute. Like you know. Well, the, I'll have to talk to you about that offline because there's the possibility that a certain show that ah, I did uh, ah, might be coming back, but I can't really talk about it here. We're, we're at time. We're at time. Oh, you got to make this decision. What a I'm, waste of a question. I'm going to go four. What a waste I'm gonna of go a four. question. You guys want to go four? All right, let's lock in four. Let's go four. Three, two, one. Well... You blocked in number four. This is where I tell you all the cups were poisoned. They were all made up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, four, four was real. You lost. Damn. Four is real. Was number uh, two the was fake one? Was it the dancing Prussian? No, the dancing Prussian was real. The fake one was number one. Oh, well Gomez played. Suarez was, in fact, ambassador from Spain to England. Uh, Alvaro de la Cuadra was his replacement. He was the next ambassador. from Spain to England. Uh, He replaced Gomez, but the two never dueled. They never had any disagreement with one another. Nope. That was was the one that we thought that we all instantly agreed. I was the one who said, yeah, nerd fights are real. That checks out. But, and and they have happened before. There was, there was supposedly a, a, a duel that Ben Johnson, the playwright, entered into that had something to do with either pronunciation or intonation or something along those lines. But I didn't include that one because uh, I'm a Shakespeare guy, not a Johnson guy. (laughs) I know, man. I know. So well played, Jonathan. You got us this time. Uh, Maybe it's because there were more choices at play. Yes, I won't do I won't do that again. That was that was only because I was really stung that one, it's been so long since I've been on, and two, you guys were on a streak. That was dirty pool, old man. (laughs) Dirty pool. (laughs) But uh I I respect the game. I respect the game. I respect the grift. Well what say we do it this way? I was thinking about this uh in the times that we between when we spoke. Um what say we now that it is twenty 22 and it's your first appearance your first return here let's say we reset the board and have you have the official score one nil and just reset it every year what do you think sure 
Sounds well, good. I love that because then that means that that we won last year. <laughs> I mean, I, I always just look to the future. I don't even know what last year was at this point. So, Ooh. well, can you at least just say it, Jonathan? Can you say it? Um, I failed to beat you last year. How about that? Wow. Okay. I know how you really feel. I, I read your blog, man. Don't play. So, so uh, it, it is, however, uh, enmity aside, it is always an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show, man. We recorded recently in person, and I can't wait for a Quizster segment in person. Jonathan, are, are, you, are, you, still, are you still contributing to uh, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. thequizster.blogspot.com? Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've posted anything. Um, I, I was for a while giving a, a, a rewatch review of Community, just going by episode by episode, but I kind of gave up about episode four of the fourth season. You know, the gas leak year, that's when I decided I was really just done with it, so I kind of lost steam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good when it was good, though, wasn't it? It, you was, know, it was really good when it was good. I I have... Out of season five of that show, excellent. You know... It, it, it is a it is a great show actually. I just rewatched it. I do have one question unrelated to your mm-hmm. villainy in the world of podcasting, mm-hmm. uh, and it is this: What are you and Max hanging out about? Are you guys in a hot tub? Everybody on the show gets in a hot tub except for me. Well, you know, it's You've never been in a hot tub, Ben. No, They're I've been great. in They're one, hot? but I'm not invited. Tub like the hot tub. He, you guys he just hang wants to be in a hot tub with me. He wants to be in a hot tub with me, guys. That's well, that's I, that's ben, boil it all it, the way down. It, that's it was it a hot tub of opportunity, my friend. You just had to have been there already. It wasn't like really a, a, a you get you're invited in the hot tub. You're in, it was just sort of like whomever was around were invited into the hot tub. It's when you get tapped to be the the lead on a branded show. You know, one of the shows that makes a lot of money. One of those shows. It's when you're tapped to do that. You just it's a different different experience. It's all Mr. Bolin. It's fine to play around in this space and there's nothing wrong with it it's just some of us occasionally have to step into what we call the big leagues well i refuse to be part of any club that would admit me as a member so um (laughs) as always i'm also not a sellout jonathan so there's oh i I, am (laughs) so (laughs) as always as always um love you man deeply deeply resent you how dare you outfox us uh, and can't wait to have you back on the show to even the score. In the meantime, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, where can people learn more about your work? Well, you can you always can call it that. <laughs> yes, you can listen to my podcast, Tech Stuff, where I talk about tech stuff or you can listen to Large Nerdron Collider which is the fun geeky news podcast where we also mash up uh, different uh, geeky things to find something new for example we just recorded an episode where we mashed up the classic film Harvey the Jimmy Stewart film with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and mine was really sad (laughs) Harvey's the one with the giant invisible rabbit right it is. And Roger Rabbit is the one with the giant visible rabbit. Yes. Correct. <laughs> and uh, wish you the best of luck. You can also find uh, Jonathan Strickland on Twitter, where you can see us occasionally. beefing occasionally. <laughs> and, uh, and you can find him prowling the odd back alley of, 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 yes, of that, irrefutable that's cities. Most of my time, yeah, it's just, just in alleys. 
<laughs> they're uh, yeah, in driven a, you know in sewer pe- peeking out of sewer grates, you mm. know, with uh, red well, balloon. You know, it's <laughs> exactly. often said there are two wolves inside of you, and one of them is Jonathan Strickland, aka the Quister, and hopefully the other wolf inside of you is the one that asks you to tune in next week when our ridiculous historical adventures continue. Thank you, as always, to Jonathan Strickland, aka the Quister, and Noel. Thank you. I, I feel like we should, I don't know, a, adopt a, a wolf, fund, fund a wolf sanctuary, get get yeah, our job to do yeah. it. I'm going to let you have that one, Ben. Wow. <laughs> After you're, all, you're a better through. person than I. You're a better person than I. No, I just, it just seems like a lot of work. The wolves seem very needy, you know, and hungry. Uh, and I just don't know if I have enough to give. Got a real lone wolf and cub situation going on here. It's true. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.